The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. This morning we get to look at this book of Corinthians, and, and I don't want us to pass introductions. It's so easy sometimes to skip the introductions of books. You're like, yeah, I've heard this before, grace and peace, saints of God, yada, yada, yada. And it's something that I think will actually be detrimental to us to not stop for a moment and ask ourselves, like, what is going on as we go into this book of the Corinthian church? This letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, which at the time was a very major city because they had ports and it was one of the main naval technology producing areas in the region. They had a lot of gods there. There were gods that they would worship the, the gods to have sex with temple prostitutes, and that was their act of worship. There were people who worshiped the gods of the sea here. This was a hustling and bustling city with commerce and idols and silversmiths. Paul lived here for a year and a half. It's the second longest he ever stayed in a place that we're aware of. And the Corinthian church was messed up. The Corinthian church had somebody that was sleeping with his stepmother. The Corinthian church had the rich people who were getting drunk off communion wine. The Corinthian church had people who were going into their own tribes and saying, you guys stay over there, the poor over here, the rich over here, the, these people over here of this background, this ethnic background over here. And Paul came to set them back toward the gospel. And I was thinking about how messed up the Corinthian church is. I was thinking about how broken it is and how broken we are as a chapel family. And then I started thinking about school because um, this morning we're going to do one more thing before we just dive in. And that is, I was thinking about college. Because we have kids going to college in the next couple of weeks. Um, we've, we've got, how many of you guys are going to college? Well, some of you guys are, okay, so you've been there, so we're not going to pray for you. <laughs> now, it's too late. It's too late. Now, you're, you're going, okay? You're going. Now, we're going to pray for these two. And I, I get to see Michael every second Sunday, at least, because he's playing drums back here. I don't know if you guys realize this, but it was mostly teenagers up here, plus Jared, okay? Um, but the, the, over here, there's something I want to pray for. And, and here's what's been in my heart, because Angela, I never see her because she's been serving me bagels and locks at Fishhawk Bagels, and she works every Sunday morning. But she's going to college in Texas to study worship ministries. I thought, man, that's really cool. Yeah, you could clap for that. You could clap for that. And then as the service was starting, someone was like, well, we should pray a blessing over her. I said, like, yeah, we're going to do that. And I thought, wait a second. Don't all kids that go to college technically study worship ministries? She's just studying the thing that we should worship. No offense. I didn't worship all the right things in college for sure. So we're going to pray a blessing over Angela and her family, because they're driving across the country, and they're sending their daughter off into a vocation that will ab abuse her terribly, pay her terribly, and she will do it with great joy in her heart, because I've seen her worship the Lord before. She's one of the people that's up here, usually before she got this job, she'd be one of the teenagers up here. And I love these teenagers when they sing, because they close their eyes, and they don't give a rip what we think. Because Reese says, don't give a rip what they think. Um, so we're going to pray a blessing on Angela, and we're going to go over here and pray over Michael, and then we're going to pray that the Lord would sustain Jordan as she goes back to college. Any more college people going to college right now? <gasps> oh, yeah. We're going back with Jordan. Are you guys carpooling? You guys should do that so your parents can save on gas money. 
I wouldn't drive with Jordan if I were you either. <laughs> That's not a slam when it's true. <laughs> My goodness, people. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Come on over. Stand up. You're, you're going to go be, you're going to go say worship ministries. You could be like my wing woman one day. Like, as, sorry, Ree. Okay. <laughs> She's in the back and she does it. Oh, hey, Ree. Hey. <laughs> Reach out a hand if that's your thing. That's what I'm doing. Father, we pray for Angela. She's about to head into ministry, which is a path that I've taken. Lord, it's a path that will come with great challenges. It's a path that will come with great opposition, but it's a path that for me, and I believe for her, Lord, will give her great joy. So I ask that your spirit would anoint her, that would give her creativity to write new songs and new melodies that bring you glory, to unite teams around the service of singing your praises as we are commanded in the Psalms. Lord, let your spirit fall on her so that she does amazing and wondrous works, so that people stand not in awe of her, but in awe of you. And let all of the works of her hand and mind and voice and skills drive people to their knees in prayer and adoration of your holy name. And it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen. I forgot how to say it in Portuguese. I was going to try, but I forgot. Now, here's the thing that we do in churches. We do it really bad. I do it all the time. Um, it's just as important that Christians go out and they, they love Jesus in their vocations because that's where people are that need Jesus. And there's people like me and people like Angela and, and are going to be, we, we're here to help you reach others for Jesus. If everyone went into ministry proper, church building things, there'd be no one to go into the hurting and broken worlds. So we need mathematicians, we need salespeople, we need cooks, we need chefs, we need cleaners, we need business owners, we need teachers, we need people in, out there, out of this building that love Jesus. And that's why I'm grateful for you guys. I'm going to pray for Nicholas, too. What school are you going to? I don't remember. Okay, I like that. Because we got a bunch of Florida Gulf people. I don't even know what's going on down there except for that red tide. So I'm going to pray a weird prayer because it's all I got. Lord, we've got at least three people that I know of whose families are, or they themselves are in this room going to Florida Gulf Coast, Gulf Coast University. Jesus, you took three of your closest friends, and they were part of a group that turned the world upside down. So take these three and take people around them that are filled with your spirit and help them, Lord. Give them a passion to lead groups that study your word, to lead groups that pray for everyone on their campus, regardless of the type of people that they are. Help them to have strength and perseverance in Christ and to know exactly who you're calling them to love and to reach. Lord, I pray that at Florida Gulf Coast they would make such a difference on their campus that when they're back for Christmas break, they would have stories of your power to share with us. I pray that you would unite these people who are chapel family here, down there, and that you would just show off to these incredible young people. Lord, we pray for all the students that are going back to school, to HCC. Lord, as a parent, I thank you that my kids are going back to school. Lord, help our kids to be lights in this world that sometimes seems so dark. Help our kids not to be afraid with all of the things that have gone on in our culture. Help us as parents to trust you in the midst of things like the horrific shootings that happen in seemingly random places. Lord, you are in control. You are God of all. And as we're going to press into today, we are your kids. So Father, I ask that you would spread your wings and cover us 
and protect us and be with us. Now, open up your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. I'm feeling good today, and we haven't even got to it. Hopefully, you found Corinthians by now. If you didn't, it's okay. There's a table of contents. I forgot to mention that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle. Everyone say apostle. Apostle means someone who is sent, a sent one. There are churches nowadays that will have a hierarchy. You could be like a, a bishop, a pastor, or an apostle, and we're not that church. We just have people, okay? But an apostle mean, literally just means a sent one, someone who goes to bring the good news of Jesus somewhere else. Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. Now, Paul knows what's going on already in this church. He knows the things I've told you, the, the sexual sin, the eating sins, the division, the arguing, the bickering, the cliques. Paul knows all of that. Keep that in mind as you read what he says next, because he sounds so nice. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He says, to those who are sanctified, to those who are saints, I want you to look at someone to your left or right and say, you're a saint. Now look to the person you avoided and say it to them. No, I'm just playing. Yeah. And you can't say it with like that undertone of Christian cursing. You're a saint. We know what that means. In case you don't know this, in case you're new to the church, Christians have all sort of hidden language. If we say, oh, God bless them, that's how we say they're an idiot. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's got to say it like that. God bless them. God bless your heart. Have you ever heard someone say that? It's Christian lingo. Paul isn't talking in that way. Paul doesn't do the Christian lingo that we do. When we come and say we're going to speak the truth in love, that means we're about to be a jerk. When Paul says I'm speaking the truth in love, he says I'm about to give you Jesus and more of him than you could handle. Paul knows what's going on because he's about to address some severe issues. I think we as Christians forget who we are in Jesus. When I greet some of you in the morning, I will call you child of the most high God, son or daughter of the king. You are blessed and highly favored. You have everything you need. God's love is upon you and will never leave you. And people go, good morning. <laughs> Paul, like God in the Bible, sees us as we are in Christ. And when he looks at the nitty-gritty of our life, he continues to point us back to Christ. He doesn't say, okay, you're a saint, now do saintly things. He says, no, no, you're a saint, let me tell you how you got that way. Let me tell you where the power comes from to, to actually start living out the identity that you have already from God the Father. And he says these words that I love, grace to you. Grace is free gift. Free gift and favor to you and peace. Peace is shalom. Peace is completeness. I want you to have free gift from God the Father, favor from Him, and His peace that makes everything in your world right. And the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this part. Verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because, is why He gives thanks, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. I don't give thanks to you, Corinthian church, because you're so good at something, because you read your Bible, because you have so many people that are in so many Bible studies, I give thanks to you because Jesus died for you, because God gave you grace. And then he says something really cool, that in every way you were enriched, you were made rich 
in him. Did you know that you are incredibly, extraordinarily, abundantly, overwhelmingly rich in Jesus? My son, uh, both my sons, but really there's one in particular, he, I don't know why he thinks, he thinks about money a lot. And he says, Daddy, are we rich? And I say, buddy, we're the richest people you know. And he goes, well, how many millions do we have? I said, God's riches haven't got to my bank account, but they're on the way. Now, I'm not a prosperity gospel teacher. As a matter of fact, I think they do great damage to the church. But if you think about what you have in Jesus, if you think about what you have in Jesus, you have in Christ the spirit of the being who created everything. And here we are, like watching the stock market go up and down. And I know some of you do that. I, know, I, I feel it sometimes because I hop on. I'm watching some show about money, and then a stock market dipped. I'm like, I know who I'm praying for today, man, because that's scary. Could you imagine if your hope was in a line that moved based on what rich people in Wall Street do? One day your hope is way up. All of a sudden, somebody says something bad about a company, and you own a bunch of that company's stock, and it plummets down, and your heart feels weird about it. You know what we've forgotten? that we have all the riches we need in Christ. The Corinthian church has forgotten that. We, I believe, have forgotten that. And I'm saying we here. I'm saying we in general in this country's Christian culture. We don't understand how much God has given us. We don't understand the power. We don't understand the grace. We don't understand the acceptance. We don't understand when we ask sometimes for thir- certain things in our life, like healing. Eric wants to pray for some of you. He says, if some of you got burdens, come unload them. I'd unload your burdens on Eric. I do it. I feel better. It's very cathartic. Come do it to Eric today. Unload your burdens. One of the things that Eric will do when he prays is he's not going to beat around the bush. He's not going to say, Lord, maybe if you want it to be done and if it's in your plan timeline, he's going to say, God, Please heal this person. God, please provide this need. And he's going to pray with faith that God will act. God will act in his time, but God also says to pray with great faith. Because Eric understands that he's a son of God. Eric understands that when he talks to God, God is his father. My kids are at the age where they still all cuddle with me. I can't, um, I can't kiss my 10-year-old anymore. He doesn't like that. He's like, Daddy, you don't kiss me. I'm like, I can't. I kiss him on the head. And he's like, ew. And I'm like, you sh- I should say ew. You haven't showered since August of last year. But my other kids will come up, and they cuddle every night. They're just like your little kids. Those of you who have little kids or young grandchildren, like when it's bedtime, they'll do everything to not go to bed, right? They're the cuddliest, sweetest. All of a sudden, they want to read for the first time in their life. It's like a miracle. Daddy, will you read the Bible to me? I'm like, ah, you got me. And they'll snuggle up. How many of you think of God the Father that way? Because Paul is going to call us God our Father, our Father, our Father, our Father over and over again. Now, some of you, maybe you're, you're like me, and when you think the word Father, it's a different F word. It's not good. It's abandonment. It's pain. It's you weren't there. I can't trust you. Maybe some of you need a Father reboot. That's what I had. And this whole thing that I'm doing now as a dad, I'm really flying by the seat of my pants. I have no idea how to be a a father, let alone a Christian father. Like I look around at some of you, and I find the ones with obedient children, and I just listen to you, talk to your children in the lobby. You think I'm just there being cool like this, but I'm like, how do you do it? And then I look at some of you with grown-up children who are just spawns of evil, and I'm like, I'm getting away from your advice. It doesn't work that way, unfortunately. 
There's no magic pill for kids. Otherwise, we'd all give them the pill. Why, oh, why didn't I take the blue pill? It's a Matrix joke, not a Cialis joke. We've forgotten, fam. The Corinthian church, Paul says, you were made rich in him in speech, all speech and all knowledge. Anything you need to say, anything you need to know, God has given you access to it, vaults of it, bankfuls of it. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed, the testimony about Christ is he lived the perfect life you couldn't live. He died the death you deserve to die, and he rose again, conquering sin and death forever. And you come to know Jesus forever in his family when you put your trust in him. When you say that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead, it is that simple. And we've made it so complicated. And here's what else. This is very interesting. As the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for his return. Jesus, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Guiltless. That's a good word. How many of you feel guiltless every time you glide into the church parking lot? It's, there's two questions I really enjoy asking people lately. One is, I ask, question, I ask Christian people, do you feel more free now than you were when you were a pagan? Like, before Jesus, how free did you feel? And they'll say, I did what I wanted. I felt really free. I just, all day was like, wake up, me time. And I said, now that you're in Jesus, how free do you feel? And they'll say something like, very christian well, I'm forgiven, and I wasn't forgiven before. I was like, that's true, and God forgave you of a lot. And they'll say, well, I have a peace. I didn't necessarily have a peace before. Okay, that, I like that. Well, and I'm going to heaven, Ryan, and I, I don't know about if I was before. I was like, you definitely weren't before. And they'll say, but I, I don't feel necessarily free. What did Christ come to set us? Free. We have, we have this thing in us. We have this thing in religion. Guilt and freedom. We like to tell people, come to Christ and you will be set free. And they come to Jesus. And then we pile on things that make them feel terrible about themselves. You're free in Christ. If you don't read your Bible, you will not be blessed. You're free in Christ. You better give 10%. That's what the Bible says. Well, I don't give 10%. Guilt. You're free in Christ. Men, never lust after another woman for the rest of your life. If you are tempted, pluck out your eyes instead. Guilt. You're free in Christ. Young people, kiss dating goodbye, because one time, one pastor wrote a book about that. He kissed dating goodbye, and my youth group did it. We said, we're not going to date, because this pastor made a compelling argument. I didn't listen, by the way. Um, that pastor pastored many amazing and beautiful churches, and then he gave up on Jesus, and he's giving up on his wife, because he made it about the rules. He made it about the things that we do 
and he forgot or, 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 or whatever happened, the freedom of Christ. And I want to tell you today something that might make some of you uncomfortable. You are so free, you're free to absolutely blow it. You're free to fail because the blood of Jesus didn't pay for the things that you just feel really bad about. The blood of Jesus paid for everything. Now, I don't recommend failing because God has hardwired some things in the universe. But how different would your life be if you woke up in the morning and felt guiltless? No guilt. There's two things. There's conviction in the Bible, which is, man, I want to be better because I love God and he loves me. There's guilt, which is, I can't believe I did this. I'm such a terrible human. I experience both on a regular basis. Paul says, the Corinthian church, the church with massive sexual sin, and not like our churches, in the modern church, sexual sin is, you know, we say the P word from time to time, pornography, and people feel uncomfortable. We'll talk about people who have different sexual orientations. We'll talk about people who, who uh, have differing perceptions on what sexuality or gender are. It's all political, confusing. And those are the sexual sins we talk about. We talk about affairs and, and cheating on your spouse. We talk about sex before marriage. This church was having sex as an act of worship. And Paul says, you are guiltless because of Christ. Some of you can't kick those habits. You're, you're stuck in them, and they're draining your life down. You're saying, I just want freedom. There's freedom. The amazing thing about the freedom of Christ, if Christ sets you free, you are free indeed, is that when you're freed truly in Christ, you can stand guiltless before God. This is the message that Paul is giving to the Corinthian church, which is the most, bar none, horrendous example of a church body I think we have in the New Testament. Other churches struggle with little things. Hey, you guys have this end times thing a little wonky. Romans, you guys, we're going to organize your theology. Philippians, we're gonna, we don't want to be joyful. You're probably not being joyful enough, so I'm going to just infuse joy IV into your life. Corinthian church is the church where Paul's just scratching his head. I've been in some of these uh, churches and meetings before where you just think, how could a Christian do this? And then I remember, Christians are just humans who have Christ on them. And underneath the exterior of Christ is a big ball of stupidity. We just give it names like Ryan, <laughs> Amanda, Derek, and Ree. But guiltless. How do I get guiltless? Well, you're called, just like Paul was called, to do something for Jesus. You are the church, not this, but building. We are church. And then it says you're holy, you're guiltless, you're a saint. Next time you're rip-roaringly mad at your spouse. Next time you feel the, the, the cauldron of the instant pot of your emotions about to blow through your lid. Just look at your wife or your husband and say, you are a saint. Well, here's, here's what I want you to think about today. One, you're richer than you think because you've got Jesus in you. Two, I want you to walk out of here feeling more guiltless than you've ever felt maybe in any church gathering in your life. Are you ready? If you need this list, you're going to have to come at me later because I'm blasting through. Hebrews 8 
10 to 12. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declare the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each brother saying, know the Lord for they shall know me from the least of these to the greatest for I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. God is going to forget your sins like husbands forget where they put the keys. He doesn't remember your sin that you did because all of your sin, past, present, future, was nailed to Jesus on the cross. So he sees you and says, oh, Don, she did that. What did she do that one time? Now, Jesse will be able to tell me everything she did and vice versa. But God won't. Either the Bible's lying or God remembers our sin no more. When he puts his spirit upon you, that means you are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And God says, your sin? What? He does, uh, Psalm 103, 10 to 12, he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions, our sin, our iniquities from us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus knew no sin. God said, well, I've got this plan. It's crazy, but it'll work out. I'm going to take all their sin, and I'm going to put it on Jesus. And I'm going to take all of Jesus' perfection, and I'm going to put it on them so that when I look at them in the midst of their darkest moment, in the midst of their greatest sin, in the midst of their ragingest anger, I say, that's my son. I don't even remember what he's doing now. Now you're like, is God dumb? Does he not know? Of course God's not dumb. Of course God knows and sees all. But when he sees your eternal standing, you are blameless. Your sin is removed from you as far as east is from the west. It is not lodged within his memory. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So that whatever mass shooters believe in him can have eternal life. Whatever people with uh, homosexuality, bisexuality, transgendered, different sexuality, whatever sexuality, whatever drunkenness, whatever pill addiction, whatever substance addiction, any, whoever believes in Jesus should not perish but have eternal life. Yeah, but, 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 but Ryan, they've got to get better. You know how better we get as Christians? I used to think we got better. Now I just think we get better at hiding and then we get better at sinning in ways that the church accepts at the time that, that they live in a church. For example, um, I always bring this up to uh, my mother-in-law. She's, she's the kindest human you'll ever know. And we talk about the differences in our generations. She'll say, well, your generation. And my, my go-to move, there's this a cover on, it's Time or Newsweek, like way back in the 50s. And it, it was an article about how to properly spank your wife with a paddle. And she's like, well, right, in your generation. And I was like, Melody, your generation, they whoop their wives with paddles. I'm down to go back. <laughs> Every generation has these weird things that the church doesn't see. There, there were church-going, amazing grace singing people who owned slaves, beat slaves, and abused and killed them. 
There are church people now who look at people that are different from one another. There are people in this room who, who are boggled that a follower of Jesus could also vote for a Democrat president. Just bewildering their mind. And you know what also bewilders? It's very funny to me. The Democrat is bewildered as they are. How could there be a Republican that loves Jesus? Don't they care about the earth? Don't they care about justice? Here's an interesting thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that drunks, drug addicts, gluttons, gossips, slanderers, people who control, people who are angry, people who eat too much, drink too much, people who live for themselves, people who are greedy. God gave his son so that all of those people who believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Not destination life, but God says, I'm changing your life right now. I'm coming in you to change things about you. God loves you so much, he'll love you right where you are, but he loves you so much, he won't leave you there. Just because I love my kids doesn't mean I want them to be what they are forever. I want them to grow, to reach their potential. John 5, 24, going back to guiltless, how guiltless you are, how saved you are. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. John 6, 37, all the Father gives me, this is Jesus talking, all the Father gives me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. John 10, 27 to 29, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Romans 8, 38 to 39, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor, nor created things, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Corinthians 1, 22 God has put a seal on us and has given us his spirit as a guarantee. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. If you trust in Jesus, he will sustain you, he will hold you, he will carry you along, you will be guiltless on the day of judgment before him. God will look at you and say, you're in, you're covered, you look perfect to me, go. And you'll say, but God, what about all those things? What things? What? Didn't you read in Hebrews? I don't remember those things. But God, I, I'm sinning right now. I know. I'm going to carry you through. Carry you through. Some of you want freedom. It starts not by buckling down and white-knuckling your way through Christianity. Freedom doesn't start by making a pledge to yourself. Tomorrow, that's it. I'm cleaning up my language. I'm not going to say this. I'm not going to go here. I'm not going to look at that. And you make a checklist. That's not how you're going to grow spiritually. You're going to die spiritually under bondage, the bondage of religion that tries to control things in your own strength. <laughs> maybe, you'll be, maybe you'll be like the drummer who gave his testimony at church. A drummer was asked to give his testimony, and um, <laughs> he said, sure. And he got up, and I think the pastor must have asked him, because he thought the testimony was different than what was going to come out of the drummer's mouth. <laughs> the drummer said, I'm a terrible person. I haven't changed hardly at all. I still cuss. I still drink. I've still done awful things. I'm still addicted to certain substances that drummers apparently get addicted to. No offense, Michael. Good luck in college. <laughs> but Jesus died for me. 
the more I read the Bible, the more I just come back to the song that I've sung to every one of my kids. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves the person that I don't like. Jesus loves the person that I don't think would ever come to know him or want to be around him. Jesus loves the person who is rip-roaringly angry at Jesus. And then Jesus enlists us into this group that we call church, where we're all perfect before God because of Christ. And all of Christianity is learning to be what we are. You are perfect. And how do we be it? We don't be it by listing out all the things. As a matter of fact, I've never, never, never made my marriage better by checklists. I never wake up in the morning and say, let me think of 25 things that I'm going to do today that are going to make me love my wife more. As a matter of fact, the opposite has happened. In my household, we have honeydew lists. Anyone have a honeydew list? At one point, we even had a tablet with tearaway pages shaped like honeydew, the melon. And every time she gives me a checklist, I'm just so thrilled about it. And we put our checklist on the counter. And in our household, here's how it works. There's like five items on the checklist before something's happening, company's coming over. And I'll start doing the checklist, and I'll go back to check things off because I'm a good religious boy. And I'll notice that the list gets longer as the day goes on. I'm like, and you'll see, like, it ran out of, like, here's blue ink, here's pencil, here's some Sharpie check boxes. I'm like, she's getting new things. At least be sly and use the same pen. Religion's like that. We keep adding things onto people, and we think that if we just get them checking all the boxes, giving, attending, being, reading, praying, then it'll be all right. And then they'll finally grow. What you'll grow into is what the Bible calls Pharisees, people who did all that. They gave the right things. They read the right things. They said the right things, but they didn't have the heart of God. For them, God in relationship with him, with him was more like a marching order and not like a dance. And I get it. There's marching in the Bible, but I want to dance. I want to be free, and I have a feeling you do as well. This book of Corinthians, Christ, these Christians gone wild, it's a book of problem after problem after problem, and in the midst of their problems, we are going to learn time over and over and over, time and time again, how free we can be. You're free to go out in the parking lot and blow it right now and get mad at one of your kids. I don't recommend it, but Jesus died for it. You're free to fail. Because if freedom means anything, it can't just mean that we're free to do good things. It has to mean that we're free in Christ to live for him without fear of future punishment. Because you, my friends, are guiltless. You stand before God the Father, and he remembers your sin no more. As far as the east is from the west, that is how far your sin is removed from you. You now have eternal life springing up like a fountain within you. Go live in that reality today. Father, I don't want to see trapped Christians walking out of this building. Lord, help us to be free, to, to, to feel so free that it scares us. Lord, I pray that the, the very super religious people in here who are uncomfortable about this level of freedom talk, that you would set them free, just like you've set me free over and over again. God, I get scared when I think about my kids making foolish choices. Lord, I'm, I get scared when I think about what people might do and go out there and abuse freedom. But Lord, you said you set them free and they are free indeed. You set them free not only from sin and death, 
that you set them free along a path of life where some of us choose stupidity over and over again. I pray that you would set us free from guilt and shame, that you would set us free from condemnation because you've promised us in your word that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've promised us in your word that you remember our sins no more. You've promised us in your word that if we turn to you and believe in you, we no longer perish but have eternal life. Lord, we forget that in our parenting. We forget that in our relationships. We forget that in our own hearts. And we beat ourselves up because we don't think that you were beat up enough on the cross. Help us. Help us to gaze into your beauty and let that moment change us. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen.